so today we are talking about Elijah and Elisha. And one of the things that we see Jesus do is kind of model Elijah's calling of his disciples. Does it in a very similar way. And so we're going to start with our adoration verse today in Luke chapter 9. Uh, verses 61 through 62. I'm just going to change that, 57 through 62. And, uh, and look at, the, the, this section is subtitled, The Cost of Following Jesus. But what I would say is following him is worth all of those things. Like he's way more valuable than these things. And, and so the call is to, to abandon what we were to be discipled by him. And this is what he says as people are saying that they're going to follow him. Uh, verse 57, it says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So when Christ calls his disciples, as particularly those last two verses, it's very similar to when Elijah calls Elisha, but there's an interesting variation that we want to look at uh, at the end of the sermon today. I want to praise God who actually is worth the cost of following. So let's sing. Come and stand before your maker Full of wonder, full of fear Come behold his power and glory Yeah, with confidence draw near For the one who holds the heavens And commands the stars above Is the God who bends to bless us With an unrelenting love Rejoice, come and lift your hands and raise your voice. He is worthy of our praise. Rejoice, sing the mercies of your King and with trembling rejoice. We are children of the promise, the beloved of the Lord, one with everlasting kindness, born with sacrificial blood, bringing reconciliation to a world that longs to know the affections of a Father who will never let them go. Rejoice! Come and lift your hands and raise your voice. He is worthy of our praise. Rejoice. Sing the mercies of your King. And with trampling, rejoice. All our sickness, all our sorrows, Jesus. 
has carried up the hill He has walked this path before us He is walking with us still Turning tragedy to triumph Turning agony to praise There's blessing in the battle So take heart and stand amazed Rejoice When you cry to Him He hears your voice He will wipe away your tears Rejoice In the midst of suffering He will help you sing Rejoice Come and lift your hands and your voice He is worthy of our praise Rejoice Sing mercies of your King And with trembling Rejoice Come and lift your hands and raise Your voice He is worthy of our Kings 2, 1 through 15. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they, were, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, I ask, no, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. 
And he said, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite to them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. This is God's word. All right, so if you are uh, new or joining us for the first time, I want to fill you in on what we're doing. My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors uh, at Mission. And um, we have decided to take the whole year and look at different ways discipleship happens in, in the Bible. So we're looking at all sorts of different scenarios. And right now we're spending some time in the Old Testament looking at uh, today how Elijah discipled Elisha. And so we're... we're work through some of these ideas, and then we'll leave you with questions so that you guys then can break into your micro churches and then discuss those questions. Um, and when we when we decided that I was teaching Elijah and Elisha, I thought, man, this is like, this is a, a softball. You're, this is a sermon that has been lobbed to me. It should be super, super easy. Uh, until I read the story again. And then the thing is, is like, Elijah's this crazy person. If you read, like, I would not, let Elijah babysit my kids. That's not going to happen. And definitely not Elisha because he sick she bears on like a bunch of youths. Um, and I don't know why they call it she bears. Why not just bears? Maybe she bears are worse than he bears. I don't know. Um, anyway, so these, these individuals are just, they, they're kind of larger than life. They're kind of crazy and intense and they live in the desert. And so I thought that'll be easy. But when it actually comes to the practicality of day in and day out discipleship in the lives of Elisha and Elijah, you actually don't see that much. And so we are actually going to be in both first Kings and second Kings today, uh, because initially those two books were one book. And then when we are breaking up in verses and chapters, they made it two different books uh, and, and kind of splits when Elisha takes on Elijah's mantle. So if you've got a Bible, um, we're going to move all the way back to 1 Kings chapter 19. Don't worry, we'll get to 2 Kings, but we're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 19, um, verses 19 through 21. And it says, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. That's like saying, you're going to follow me now. I'm giving you my mantle. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my, my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? In other words, that's fine. I, I don't really care. Uh, and he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. 
And it's interesting because immediately the first thing that I'm drawn to in this passage is, wow, okay, like Elisha goes back and he basically wrecks his whole income, his whole job and creates a hard defining line. Like now I'm being discipled by the prophet. And that's where most people focus. And that's a good thing. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But there's something here that often gets overlooked. And I think it's really important. Uh, verse 21, then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So he went back and he said goodbye to his family. He burned the, the yokes. He sacrificed the oxen. And then where does Elisha live? Where does he live from there? Where, what, does, what does he do from there? He left his home and, and he followed Elijah. He began living with Elijah during this point. He lived with him and he served him. There's a, a Jewish historian, uh, Safray, who said a disciple did not grasp the full significance of his teacher's learning in all of its nuances, except through prolonged intimacy with his teacher, through close association with his rich and profound mind. In other words, the, the disciple, Elisha, when he leaves his family, he's, he's staying with Elijah 24-7 now. And he's going he's gonna to follow his teacher uh, on all of his daily rounds. And uh, uh, a rabbi, if he, if he had a student, would take them to court with him. They would help the poor together. They'd bury the dead. They'd redeem slaves. They would do everything the teacher would do, everything the prophet Elijah is doing, Elisha is doing as well. And he's serving Elijah with common, practical, daily needs. And so the disciples sought to, to be a humble and caring companion, doing the personal acts of service and helping their teacher and all those things. And the question is, why is that type of discipleship the discipleship that was most used in Scripture? Why leave your home and follow Elijah? Why serve and help Elijah? Why does Jesus call his disciples in the same manner? Come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Leave your boats. I'm going to show you how to multiply food. I'm going to teach you how to deal with, with Pharisees and, and the invalid. Why, why is it always leave what you're doing and follow me? And then you see the, the disciples in turn arranging things for Jesus, finding the donkey, securing the room for the last supper, um, gathering the, the baskets of loaves and fishes. And so, they're, they're modeling this. Why, why did God design discipleship in that means? And the reason why I think the fact that Elijah or Elisha left and followed Elijah, because discipleship is both academic and transformative. And I, and I want to press on there really quick because I think if, if I were to ask the majority of Christians that I know, what is discipleship? Either I'd get it's studying the Bible or it's like deep relational care. And generally, we, we tend to be polarized on those issues. But the fact is, is it's both. You have to have both. And so Elisha leaves his family to learn from Elijah. But also, as they live together and work together, they're going to be growing and changing. And Elisha is going to be seeing what ministry is like from Elijah and what following God looks like. And so... Discipleship is both academic and transformative. Uh, and, and so here's the first question, first question that, that you should discuss. When you think of discipleship, which side do you lean toward? Do you lean toward the academic or do you lean toward the personal transformation side? And as a microchurch, how can you better balance that out? 
Uh, and so I know, and, and some of our groups, uh, and especially right now, it's a little wonky with all the Zoom meetings, uh, but some of our groups definitely are more on the academic side. You'll see pictures and there's like 19 commentaries in the small group and everybody's like looking up the Greek and only speaking in Hebrew to one another. And then there's other groups where like, they're just going to chat the whole time and eat some food and, and, and just talk about relational growth. And, and so how can we balance those things out so that we're including both the academic and the transformation? So number one. Uh, the second thing I've noticed from Elisha and Elijah's life is that after verse 21 in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, you don't see Elisha mentioned at all. The dude completely disappears until 2 Kings chapter 2. And, if, and so that means if you're looking at a historical outline or timeline, that's six or seven years where Elisha leaves, follows Elijah, and then is silently working, silently helping, silently being uh, taught. And then there's, there's two things there that I want to point out. Number one, discipleship is not a quick process. And, and I think that has become, at least for me, uh, a frustration because I really love the start of something and the end of something, and I want to see all the steps in between so I know when to start, what to do, and I finished. I remember the, the first time I was ever to discipled by somebody mentored, it was like this eight week thing. He's like, okay, we're going to do this for eight weeks and then you'll be discipled. And, and that's just, that's not how discipleship works. Uh, and that can't fully encapsulate discipleship. So an eight week course can be part of it, but it's not the whole thing. Discipleship takes years and years and years and will probably take the rest of your life. The second thing is that as Elisha fades into the background for those years, he's still faithfully serving. So he's not necessarily getting the recognition. You still see Elijah calling out King Ahab and doing all sorts of crazy things. And you know, he, he was a yeller. I think if Elijah was, to, was today, he, he would yell probably as much as T.D. Jakes. That's what I think he would do, uh, but wouldn't have fancy things. Um, but Elijah's mentioned and Elisha serves silently and faithfully. And in the same way that Elisha will later be served by his disciple Gehazi. And so what you kind of see then happening is, is like a hierarchical system of discipleship in the prophets. And something really interesting that, that happens in, in the New Testament when Jesus comes in and he calls his disciples and, and he removes the order. He says the leader will become the servant. The least will become the greatest. The greatest will become the least. Uh, and he instills into discipleship a mutual serving of one another. And so I think there is this concept that the experts are the ones who should disciple. and We should leave that to them. And that's not in Jesus's model of discipleship. Once you become a Christian, you make disciples. You start telling people about Jesus. You start reading scripture with them. You start working out life with them. Discipleship is, is for everyone because when, when Jesus sends out the disciples, they're definitely not experts. They're just a mess, man. I mean, the early church was just insanely messy uh, and, and there was no such thing as an expert. Jesus was the expert. So he sends out his disciples to mutually serve one another and then to tell people about Christ and, and serve them as well. So everyone is called to make disciples. So, so discipleship takes a long time. And number two, it's, it's based off of mutual serving and there's not an expert. 
so here's your second set of questions. In what ways have you been discipled through serving, through people serving you? Uh, and then what ways are you trying to disciple others through serving? Um, number three, let's turn to, to first King or second Kings chapter two. Get, get back to where we were supposed to start. Second Kings chapter two. Uh, now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from you? And he said, yes, I know. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets uh, who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? He said, yes, I know. Keep it quiet. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. He said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. It's interesting that this kind of closing of Elijah's life, we know the story. So he's going to be taken up in a whirlwind and, um, and he, he's going to be gone. And, and Elisha's whole job, his discipleship is to follow Elijah. And in chapter two, I think we see him work through really, really two different difficult things uh, that happen in discipleship. The first thing is this, he knows that Elijah's time has come. Uh, and, and when he's asked about it, he just says, yeah, I know, keep it quiet. He moves on, and, and he doesn't really want to address it. He doesn't want to talk about it. And then when Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind, verse 12 says, then he took hold of his clothes and tore them into pieces. In other words, he rent his shirt in grieving. Elisha has to continue following even in deep, deep sorrow. But not only that, the second thing that he has to work through is that he comes up against Elijah. Elijah tells him, stop following me. And Elisha knows, no, my job is to follow you. I will follow you to the end. And Elijah tells him three different times, stop following me, stop following me, stop following me. And I, I don't know why Elijah tells him that. I would lean toward, man, Elijah is testing Elisha. In the same way, or, or, or maybe testing Elisha, or, or maybe there's a connection between how Jesus asked Peter over and over, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Maybe there's a connection there. I, and I would lean toward a testing, but quite frankly, I don't know Elijah's motives. Maybe he wanted to be alone in the end. Maybe Elisha just was one of those guys that you spend too much time with them and they're kind of annoying. That's a possibility. I don't know. And so though I would lean toward testing, what we do know for sure is that if Elisha is going to be obedient to the call of God in his life, he now has to disagree with his mentor. He has to go against what his mentor is telling him to do. And that had to have been difficult. And I, I want you to think about this. Elisha spent six or seven years with Elijah, day in and day out, speaking the word of God to people. I mean, combating kings and, and living in the wilderness, eating together. Elisha loved Elijah, 
And now he knows he's going to be gone. And now Elijah's telling him, stop following me, stop following me. The sorrow and the difficulty in that had to have been crippling. So here's your, your next question. Have you ever felt like giving up on following Jesus or were so sorrowful that it was hard to move forward? And then what got you through those times? Have you ever felt like giving up on following Jesus or were so sorrowful that it was hard to move forward? And what got you through those times? And, and in this, Elijah not only works through his sorrow, but then he does something really interesting. Uh, verse nine, when they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Elisha not only works through his sorrow, but he asks for a double portion of the spirit and it, like double power. What you can do by the power of the spirit may, may happen doubly for you. And Elijah says, man, that's a hard thing. And it's interesting because I would have a really, really hard time asking for that. Because when I think of, man, all right, God, I want you just to like doubly bless my preaching. Make me a double preacher. That would be great. Like two times the power. Um, that seems a little selfish or, or maybe a little prideful or, or greedy, but it's, but it's not. Uh, not only does Elisha ask for it, but he gets it. And what you find out in the lives of Elijah and Elisha is that Elijah performs seven miracles, but Elisha performs 14. And so with the right heart, as, as Elisha is asking, not just to make himself great, but from the stance of a humble servant who will now be serving God, doing the same ministry that Elijah had, he asks for the hard thing. And then he gets it. So here's, here's a question. What hard thing should you be asking God for? Like, what do you really, if, you, if you've got, you know, people you're ministering to or, or, or counseling or if you, or the, your, your work friends, what hard thing should you ask God for that you think, man, that seems like a big ask. That seems, that seems hard. What should you be asking for? And then why aren't you? Uh, and, and, and talk about those things. And then lastly, Luke chapter 9 Verses 57 through 62. Luke chapter 9, 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as far as you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. That's exactly what Elisha did. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. When Elijah calls Elisha and Elisha asks to go back to his family, to kiss his family goodbye, uh, Elijah says, yeah, go for it, essentially. But when Jesus is encountered, I will follow you, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus says, 
No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The question is, why such a difference? And I would say, Elisha is going back to cut all ties with his former life. In other words, there's no turning back. I'm going to be a disciple of Elijah, and my life is going to radically change. Jesus obviously knew that the person that he's speaking to here, they're asking for a delay. Man, Jesus, I will follow you after my father passes, maybe in the next five or six years. I'll follow you uh, after I go and, and you know wrap some stuff up with my family. I'll follow you essentially when it's convenient. Jesus is not a fan of lukewarm Christians and people who only follow Christ when it's convenient. And so here's our last question. What do you have a hard time leaving or giving up to follow Jesus? What do you have a hard time leaving or giving up to follow Jesus? I think the, the beauty of the way we see Jesus interacting with these people and how Elijah and Elisha interacted is discipleship must look different for every individual because we're all uniquely formed. Well, we've been given unique desires and we have unique struggles. And, and so Jesus is not going to copy just what Elijah, Elijah does because he's dealing with different people. And, and honestly, when he calls a disciple in, he's calling us into a mutual relationship where everybody can disciple one another uniquely. And that's what makes the church so beautiful. So I want to pray and, and praise God for making such a beautiful church. Father, I thank you for uh, the Old Testament. I thank you for Elijah and Elisha. Um, I thank you that we have things that we can continuously learn uh, and that you call each one of us to be disciples. And I thank you that we have such a, a myriad of giftings and struggles and, and knowledge bases and desires and, and that you, you've created a tapestry that we can be a part of in discipling. And so, Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice you made uh, of becoming a man, dying on the cross, taking the cup of wrath that we, we were due, drinking it for us, and then giving us faith to follow you. We ask that you would uh, bless everyone here, help us all to be excited about discipling, um, that is calling people from not knowing you to knowing you to, to maturing in you. We thank you and we praise you and we love you. Amen. Through dusty trail and river dry, thunderstorm and blistering sky. The mountain high street below Across the desert we call home You were the sun, you were the shade You were the love that led the way And we don't know what the future holds But we know that we Trust in you. 
Set our hearts upon the road We'll love and leave the rest to you Jesus, we so often fail Trample hearts along the trail So write the law deep in our lives Mercy more than sacrifice And to each other we'll repent Turn to you to start again And we don't know what the future holds But we know that we can trust in Him We'll set our hearts upon the road We'll love and leave the rest to you Strengthen you together as we turn through. So live in water, come and flow across the desert we call home. And we don't know what the future holds, but we know that we can trust in. We'll set our hearts upon the road We'll love and leave the rest to you And we don't know what the future holds But we know that we can trust in you We'll set our hearts upon the road We'll love and leave the rest to you Father, thank you that um, you've called us into something that is vast and complex. Um, we pray that as we just grapple with what discipleship means, that we're encouraged that you've, you've already set out a path before us that you've called us into. And you know us, you know our frame, you know what, we're, what our tendencies, what our biases are, but you call us into more beyond those things. Uh, so I pray as we go into our discussion groups today that we'll um, take that stuff head on, just knowing that you've got our back um, and that we get the chance now to test ourselves and to challenge ourselves to grow, to be closer to you and to glorify you more with our lives. We pray all these for your glory, Lord. Amen.